five, four. <laughs> You're supposed to say three and then stop for two and one. Okay. Well, anyway, here we are. All right. I'm just checking. I'm just checking the screen one last time. Probably not the last time. All right. Shift position. Okay. So you can't see it. I can't see the screen. The very comfortable bars jumping up and down. Welcome to the Disentanglement Podcast, where we disguise our voice so you don't know who we really are. Yes, welcome to the Disentanglement <laughs> Podcast. All right, it's been a while since... I am Andre. <laughs> which is nothing like your real name. And I'm Sarah without an H, which is nothing like my real name. Okay, so it's been a while since we last recorded in actual time, um, partly... Stop looking at the screen. It's working. Um, because we have upgraded our equipment a bit, so we both have proper microphones instead of both of us talking to the same one and hoping it'll be okay. And also because I think we've both been trying to, as you said, uh, Andre, reassessing your uh, our threat model as well as our desired goal states. I think in my fantasies, my threat model is secret agent. <laughs> Secret agent <laughs> yeah. man. Um, uh, uh, targeted by state actor. <laughs> <laughs> and that does not say anything about your self-perception whatsoever. <laughs> no, but I think it's this, um, uh, I, I think it's a, a boyhood fantasy grown into adulthood of um, imagining one's importance in the world and ability to save it should um, the proper threat come to it. So, of course, it's part of my hero's journey. <laughs> <laughs> that I am, in fact, targeted by a state actor. Right. Well, you also have said many times in The Raising of a Son, which we have shared doing, uh, that little boys desire the invincibility shield. This is a very powerful fantasy. Yes. So if the threat model is state targeting secret agent, then the desired goal state is the invincibility shield. Yeah. Hence my desire, uh, first of all, to... Get rid of all of my 650-plus online accounts. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's have an update on that. How much progress have you made? Are you down to 400? I got down to 585, <laughs> and then I completely burned out. I can understand that. Yes, I'm still waiting to hear back from some of them, which I know I never will. Um, mm. Yes, uh, th that was rather disappointing. I did manage to get rid of a, a Snapchat account that I had had um, simply to try it out about four or five years ago, mm. um, had never used, um, uh, another, uh, a few other decent sized accounts that I was able to get rid of, uh, some newspapers and whatnot. Um, how about you? Well, I actually, because I had fewer accounts to begin with, I, over the course of several weeks, went through my password manager and closed down every account that I didn't need anymore. And there were more than I would have guessed. And that's only the ones that I've remembered in the last, what, less than two years that I've even been using a password manager. So there's got to be other ones out there that are just lost at the moment. Yeah, well, if you know your old email addresses and you search on Have I Been Pawned, you can probably figure out where they've been breached. Oh, gosh, I didn't even know about that. All right, I'm not, I can't even deal with that right now. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm down to like 
150 that I still judge yeah. necessary, which seems preposterous. Um, though some of them are, I'm just waiting to hear back. In some cases, I've had to like send in requests. Sometimes they don't give you a way to just delete your account. A lot of them do, but some just don't. Some you have to just write and hope somebody gets. But um, guess which? <laughs> you already know. <laughs> Dear listeners, guess which has been the one and only that I have not been able to totally delete my account from? I don't know. Please tell me. It must be something really egregious, like a nasty social media site or a uh, some kind of data broker. Yes, you'd think it was would be that and not a purported guardian of democracy through the greatest journalistic tradition in history. Oh, no. The New York Times. No. Yes. So... I was not a subscriber. I had just the account because you can look at a like crosswords and a certain number. They want to make sure they have all the news that's fit to print. Yeah, all the all the news that's fit to steal. So anyway, so I wrote asking to delete the account. Again, there's no money associated with it. I was not subscribed to anything. It was just literally the fact of my account there. Um, I got an email back from the help desk telling me where I could fill in the form online to request deletion. So that seemed promising. And then this is what I got in response. Dear my name, thank you for contacting the New York Times company regarding your request. We cannot fulfill your request at this time because the laws of your country do not afford you data subject rights. We're sorry for the inconvenience. Okay, like what? <laughs> like, because I don't have rights, they cannot fulfill my request. I mean, they could, obviously, because I've had tons of accounts deleted. They're just choosing not to. And then calling it an inconvenience that I cannot extract myself from their system. And then they are obnoxious enough to go on and say, below we've included resources that you may find useful to unsubscribe if you have any questions for your or changes to make to your subscription. And here's uh, our privacy policy. Thank you. <laughs> to which I want to say, F you. <laughs> Yeah, no, you do not have data subject rights. I suppose that means that you're not a citizen or a, mem a resident of the European Union, which does have data privacy rights. Why don't you say something about that? Because I think that is useful to know. Uh, yeah, the European Union uh, passed back in, I don't know what year, 2012, 13, um, 15 maybe, a, uh, a, what was popularly called the right to be forgotten. Uh, which means that if your data is stored in Europe and you are a member and under a jur European jurisdiction, you do have the right to ask uh, institutions to delete the data they have retained on you that they are aware of. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that extends, I think, across the European Union. There are a couple of states in the United States that recently have afforded data protection, uh, among them California and I think Colorado. Uh, so if you are a resident of those states, you have more rights than others. I, I did try to uh, unsubscribe from one of the services, uh, Instacart, I think it had, I think we had to do like grocery delivery, which we like tried one time and then never mm -hmm. used again. But they said, sorry, we can't delete your account because you're not a resident of California. <laughs> and so That's I so said, bizarre. well, maybe I should just make up a California address in order f for them to be able to delete it. Did you? Um, I don't think I did that yet, but I think I will. I have huh. some friends in California. I can just say I was staying with them, which I have been at that physical address at per certain points. I've been in California and Colorado. And I've, I've lived life. there. I've been in Europe. And for I lived matter. there in a temporary way, like for three or four days. <laughs> that should qualify for 
my request. I mean, this is the level that the laws are getting to. And, you know, I mean, like the annoying banner that's on every website now about we use cookies and you can accept them or you can reject unnecessary cookies or you can choose which cookies or whatever. Like that has to do with EU data protection. Right. But like all it is is just makes it's like signing a clicking a user agreement for all the software that you download. You have no idea. You could like owe them a pint of blood every month and you have no idea. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They're that certainly bordering on ludicrous and the the real requirement is check this box or don't use our website so it's kind of an opt-in or out yeah but it's not i mean that's it right you're 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 selling out with with everything because you're being tracked so okay so anyway so i'm i'm totally burned out on deleting my accounts (laughs) i need i know i need to go back through it okay that's just one one lesson to take is that this journey towards more privacy and security is a long one. It's taken us 22 years, as I discovered with my old eBay account, 20 year, 22 years to dig myself into this hole. Um, I hope it's not going to take 22 years to dig myself out of it, but it's not going to happen overnight. Right. Or even, or even within a few weeks or maybe even within a few months, we just take the first steps um, that it takes. And in fact, you know, nowhere did it say that deleting your accounts is the first step you need to take. I just took that upon myself because, you know, I assumed I was under the threat of a state actor. (laughs) And I needed to erase my existence completely. Yeah. Well, I have to say one good thing it's done for me is it's made me reconsider before I sign up for a new site. So like now when I'm, you know, considering some online service, I'm like, well, this means committing to another site. And um, when I, the first time I've created a new account anywhere since doing this, um, I took your advice, which is to use a username I'd never used before, not just a password I've never used before that has no particular connection to anything and from now on I'll also be using different usernames for every single thing and use a username instead of an email address whenever possible because that that prevents um certain kinds of tracking from happening yeah yeah lots of things to think about all right so going forward don't just sign up for everything think about what will happen if this data is breached and not just if but when it is when breached. it's breached right right okay so I kind of feel like we should talk about some big picture stuff because this is, I think, only our seventh episode and um, I'm still having trouble getting a handle on everything. So (laughs) the first thing I just want to say again, we should probably say it regularly, which is that online security and online privacy are two different things. So security is like having passwords so that individuals like your um, snooping relatives <laughs> or or um, neighbor or whatever can't hack into your Wi-Fi or into your email accounts um, or your credit card and buy stuff for you. Or, yeah, like, or, or like your, or your, like your Google account. So the right. good, a good example is Google. So Google uh, is extremely secure. Uh, they have very good security, um, very few data breaches, none that I'm aware of that have been large anyway. Uh, and you can that your data is quite secure with Google. The only problem is that it's not at all private. The right. reason they give you they let you store their data on their services is so they can read through it and target advertisements at you. So they know more about you than you know about yourself. So it's secure, 
but it's not private. Now, so I just want to say this again. I think this is really important because for those of us who kind of came of age when the internet was beginning to spread and then educated our parents and grandparents in its use, security was the major concern. Right, and because w- you got grandma who uses like her birthday as a password. Right, right. Exactly. And that is not secure. No, that is not secure. Nor is one, two, three, four, five, or password, or your spouse's first name, or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, and there's lots of like low level scams that get targeted that way, and a lot of like the spammy emails you get and stuff for phishing, those, those are all related to security. And so I think so much energy has gone into improving our internet security that it was just like pulling the wool over our eyes that we had absolutely zero privacy and not from like evil strangers necessarily, but from the very services that we were using. And I I, like, I still, (laughs) I'm trying to come to terms with this. I've realized, as I've I've told you, like I've been rereading a couple of books by Jaron Lanier and Shoshana Zuboff. And like, I realized that like they were telling me this about my privacy being violated and like I couldn't take it in the first time and when I finally started to get it and then I went back and reread these things I'm like it's already there I've already read this like I didn't get it at all the first time so it's actually the services by and large free that we have been offered and have used for so long they are tracking every single thing we do and like we said including everything that they can they do track yeah including like what make of computer you have, the size of your screen, exactly how long you're on everything, where your mouse hovers, how long you linger over things, as well as, of course, every single site you see and how much time you spend there, what isn't, like, if you use a Gmail account, everything that's in there, you know, they they don't, like, read it like an individual spy secret agent reading them. Although they could, if there was a subpoena, they would definitely do that. Yeah, well, and meanwhile, they can just aggregate information out of that to work towards... And, and, and I know, like, all sorts of people have had wiggy experiences of, like, saying something in front of Alexa and then the next day seeing it advertised to them on Facebook um, or other weird coincidences like that. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> they are collecting on us all the time. So, um, yeah, so that that is privacy. And then I think at this point we'll encourage you to improve your security, but privacy is really the big picture thing we're trying to disentangle here in this security in some ways is um can be taken uh, can be worked through there's a science of security uh, and a lot of very sophisticated uh, actors in the field who know how to make things quite secure privacy is quite a lot more squirrely it's not quite so clear what you need to do or even what your goal should be because being completely private is well nigh impossible yeah, you you have been spending a lot of time like reading books and listening to podcasts like about hardcore privacy for like celebrities, state actors, um, YouTubers who don't want to get doxxed, right? Um, people, activists, um, people right. with psycho exes who are stalking them and trying yeah. to steal their children. Yeah, if you have, if you need to remain truly private, it does require some rather extreme measures. We'll talk about that later on, but that's but we're not talking about extreme measures here. We're just we'll introduce things bit by bit, beginning with the biggest thing, which is don't sign up for stuff you don't need. <laughs> don't give out your information to people who don't need it. Right, right. Right. Okay, so where to from here? Um talk about the you're in a you're what um uh who who changed was it you and not 
right. Do you want me to? Is that that's that, that story? Sure, I can. And then do you want to just talk about like? Oh, the, how the oh yeah, we're gonna talk about how the internet works. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. Let's try it. All right. We'll just cut this out. All right. Okay. Picking up again here. Yeah. So I think finally, like, getting a handle on this privacy versus security issue. I I remember I said to you the other day, it was like. I suddenly look at this familiar friend called the World Wide Web and realize it's not who it used to be. It has changed. It, it has changed, not me. <laughs> Though I'm the one who's changed in the realization, but it's like, a, you know, Jordan Peterson always talks about, you know, anxiety is the, it's caused by chaos and unfamiliarity erupting out of the familiar so like when someone close to you in your life does something totally unprecedented or if you're betrayed by someone you trusted or whatever like the whole like the person themselves is like no longer the person they used to be and the environment is no longer what it used to be it reconstitutes because we actually relate to things by their meaning not their objective atomic status in the world and so i just like had this overwhelming feeling that this the internet that it had been a part of, has been a part of my life since 1994 is now this creepy monster that is um and oh okay this is all right this is a little gross but last week when i was like really like trying to come to terms with all of this i had the most amazing dream all right it's been warned it's a little gross but in the dream i really had to poop <laughs> And I was just like, in the dream, I had to like race to get to a toilet in time. I was trying to like hold it in before it came out. And then I pooped and it was amazing. It was just like, you know, a lot. And it just all came out, that kind of relief you get. But then when I stood up to look, it wasn't poop. It was robots. <laughs> it was these little black and white and chromium robots. And they were vaguely like humanoid in shape. And I'm just like staring in disbelief at this toilet bowl full of robots. And then one turns his beady little eye-like thing on me. And an arm reaches between the bowl and the seat trying to get to me. And I realize like, if I don't flush these suckers fast, they are coming for me. They're so pissed that I pooped them out. And so I flushed and it was a dream toilet and it was super powerful so down all the the robots went but um wow that's a that's a pretty vivid uh, <laughs> paging dr freud <laughs> <laughs> description of uh, in fact what what's going on inside when you begin to imagine what's being done to you yeah and uh, the feeling that this is what's the going robots on. are taking you over from the inside and you need to really just flush them away well, anyway, that was very um, cathartic <laughs> for me. But um, yeah, I think, but I think I, I have a really kind of different, almost emotional relationship to you. So, I mean, it's interesting you talk about having like this slight, like, megalomania, maniacal paranoia about being tracked. Like, that is, that's how you emotionally respond to it. For me, it's more like this feeling of betrayal. Yeah. by a friend and also i think the big difference is that you have always understood how these systems worked so um, it almost seems like you should feel more betrayed because you knew more about them all yeah, along I, I mean, and i i'm just like only barely beginning to figure out the actual mechanics and computing well i knew i knew about how the innards uh, of the internet worked in a general way but i didn't have it wasn't hadn't reflected upon what the companies were doing with all the information that was being made available. I didn't realize the granularity of the information that was available and how it was being used, particularly when you browse and the and the addressing that goes on when you're being tracked. I didn't wasn't totally obviously not at all aware of the 
the depth of that data mining that's going on. Do you think the word granular, granular has suddenly become popular because of that? Like, nobody said granular two years ago, I would swear. Um, I wonder I don't if know. that's how. Great. Corrupting the English language, too. And punctuation. Yeah, well, but, you know, okay, so what's interesting I've learned is, like, what we're objecting to is, is now sometimes called Web 2.0. And so, like, right. what you came of age with right with from the web, beginning and learned was web, web 1.0 like i came of age with you know gopher on the terminal okay you better explain what that is <laughs> well before there was the internet uh or with the early internet was simply connections between uh, some universities some military uh, uh and um some research institutions and they were connected and they developed some protocols to talk between them and use the telephone line system in order to send information back and forth. And so I remember when I, I mentioned this before, when I was a freshman in college, my dad owned this computer company and um, had, had a mainframe computer at his office, and he sent me to college with a, a PDP-11 terminal. Wow. <laughs> Which I used a, a, just a regular phone line to plug into, and that gave me access as a terminal to the, the universities computer and from that i could i could do my email it was all there's no graphical interface it wasn't windows or mac it was just command line you would just turn it on and it would be on and you would type i would use an email program called pine so you typed in pine and then you put in your email address and you put in your password and it would load your email um and or you could go surf the internet as it existed in 1993 ish uh and it consisted at that point of gopher Gopher was started at the University of Minnesota. Go Gophers! Um, and it was simply hierarchical data, um, like in an encyclopedia or other kinds of information that had been curated and put in a form for you to to look at and consume. So that's that's what I did. Um, so that's Web 1.0. So I've I've recently read this distinction, which I think is helpful. Maybe we can try to be consistent with the terminology from now on. That the internet is just the whole concept and um, mechanics of linking up computers in different locations right. by using like wires and yeah. software protocols to communicate. But the, the internet is really just the interconnectedness. Yeah. And of a base, on a base level, it's a set of physical connections between whatever you're doing and wherever the other people are that are. Right. And I think that's useful because it's, it's more neutral, like, telephone interconnectivity yeah, or electricity it is, yeah it's neutral like you know that. it's a network of things but you can use you can use the telephone to call your mother and tell you that or love her let you love her or to be a to threaten somebody with death yeah exactly or breathe heavily on the line or whatever like yeah that. like that weirdo who calls our landline regularly <laughs> to do it <sighs> anyway so that's the internet as just like the this uh, networked computing conversation possibility but yeah. then like so the world wide web and what we also call the web for short is actually not the internet so like the internet is like all the lines in the world and all the computers connected whereas the world wide web is this particular protocol right is that the right that's the right word i don't, I don't know for... what this what the specific definition is but what we think of of as the world wide web is started with kind of web 1.0 right but i mean i think this is useful because as you pointed out to me like what you access with your browser is websites that right. live on the world wide web but that's not the same thing as the internet so like the web is built on top of the internet yeah and then might... like you can access your email 
through the web, but actually email communicates by a different protocol from how websites are reached through browsers. I, I think I don't know I don't know how useful those the distinction is at that point. But yes, there is there's Well, okay, here's why I think it's important because the knee-jerk reaction of someone like me initially is that the tech itself is evil, and mm. so get rid of the internet. Right. But that's ridiculous. I don't actually want to. I benefit too much from the interconnectivity. But then you can look at something like the web, which is this form of of internet connectivity and connection, and that is something you can critique as the way in which it happens and the way data is sent or served or extracted or spied upon or whatever. Right. So the the so this web 1.0 is really begins uh, with the official internet with the per, uh, uh, the propagation of sites that end in HTML and they're being sent by the hypertext um, uh, hypertext no, um, excuse me they're being HTTP? sent by the, by the eight hypertext transfer protocol HTTP and they used to have a dot HTML at the end before they were dot com no no HTML is the name of the file it's a file type, hypertext markup language. Right. Okay, I'm confused though, because you said Web 1.0 was .html. Oh, that, that was usually serving files mm -hmm. with that markup language. And then very quickly, people learned that you could also use other languages to attach those web pages to a database, for example, or later on to import um, a flash screen, which would be able to play videos or do something else. With, with some with in connection with computer on your software and so very quickly you developed ways in which that web interface web browser interface was able to call upon the resources of your computer to do more than simply transfer a static page of information so the very the first web was just a lot of static information being delivered back and forth and um, they're developed um, into as as the um, as commerce started taking off on the web, as the dot com mm -hmm. uh, boom began in the mid '90s, the commercialization of the web really was the f the first instance where those web pages began to be used f mainly for marketing and for purchasing, right? For directing information towards people towards buying things, right? But even then, like even if people were able to sell and buy, it wasn't yet the privacy violation of, of collecting or manipulating consumers. Like, it was more of a slow slide into that, wasn't it? Yeah. Because like, from yeah. what I've read, it was Google that really began to figure out there was this so-called data right, the, the, exhaust. The first dot-com boom was really lots of the old businesses building their model online. So it was a lot of right. basically turning your catalog into an online catalog and right. uh, putting up a customer service portal for your existing customers. Um, and there were a few new businesses that came out of it. Of course, AOL is the most famous, and they were famous for getting people connected to the internet. They were the portal through which people went. So there were these um, instances of that. I'm not an expert in the history, but people were, it wasn't a data gathering business at that point. Right. It was simply trying to sell people products um, in, order, uh, in order to, um, and using the web as a, way to reach a better audience with a better a bigger audience with a better experience yeah see i think that's also a really important distinction to make because i don't have a problem with commerce happening on top of the internet it's when 
the the commerce sites or what you do online is collected and then used to either predict or manipulate your consumption in ways that you are not aware of and have not agreed to and don't even know how it's working on you. I think that's very different from commerce itself. So it's like we, you know, we live in this large city and we walk by shops that have signs advertising what they offer or restaurants, right? And like, you know, you might get exhausted sometimes at the busyness, but you're not offended by the concept of a shop telling you what they sell or a restaurant having pictures of what you can eat there. It's when... Yeah, like, imagine the first AOL pages when you would log into AOL in the 1990s. They would have people would pay them to put it up advertising for their services on the web. Say you had J.C. Penny or Nordstrom's <laughs> would pay for an ad on AOL and they would get people then to go to their, I don't even know if they had web pages, but, mm-hmm. you know, go to their website and do shopping. So that's kind of taking, taking the model of, say, the, the town square and the advertising around the town square and moving it towards the internet. And that, that right. was, um, and they began to do some kind of tracking of things like this, some numbers, but it wasn't as ubiquitous um, as it became later on. Right. And I think now, like, I notice more and more when I go on Amazon, and if I'm, like, searching not for a specific title, but for, like, an area of a type of book or something, there's so many more ads now. And I just am more and more convinced that what I'm seeing is not, like, an organic result based on, like, genuine, like, popularity or cheapest no no it's being targeted to you based upon what amazon has learned about your preferences they're trying they're trying to get you to buy certain things um, based upon a combination of what they think of you and who's paying them to sell their stuff yeah and i i'm no longer on facebook but i understand that on facebook it's super advanced like they are constantly running tests to see what successfully manipulates everybody's doing that yeah right now anyway so we need but but um let's see Okay, we <laughs> we were wondering. We're, we're, we're still trying to get a handle on this. I guess uh, so. Anyway, I think the the point being is that the internet, as in the sense of connecting people and information, is in some sense as neutral as any other technology, like the telephone or electricity. Obviously, all sorts of unintended consequences came out of those two. But none of us seriously want to be without electricity or without the telephone or without the connectivity that this amazing right. new technology or the internet. offers. Or I do not want to be without the internet. However, what I'm, what I've been since we. Because Which you've been pooping out. <laughs> right. And the reason we decided to start like recording our conversations about that is realizing that there is something built on top of this more or less not entirely neutral technology of the internet called the web, and more specifically what is called Web 2.0, which is this collection and manipulation model. That is what I want to disentangle myself from entirely. But that also has required like going back and at least for me getting a better handle on how like yeah. the whole thing works. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how in fact the physical structure of the internet functions and how it allows for the kind of tracking that is being done. Right. We've been talking a long time now, and we had had proposed maybe talking how the internet works, but I think we've done enough. I think for, we can save that for, for the, one for the thing. Next time. But actually, what I would like to close out with is you were just telling me that browsers are insanely complex pieces of software, yeah. and and since that is how we access the web, and therefore the way web two point the way web two works on us. Maybe you can take us out with some reflections on the massive piece of architectonic. Yeah. I, I, I just learned of this myself, um, listening to some privacy-centered uh, 
podcast that the web browser is by far the most complicated piece of software on your computer. In fact, it's no surprise that Google has taken its web browser, Chrome, and making it made a whole operating system out of it because it functions almost like an entire operating system, um, which is one of the reasons why it is difficult to compete. And uh, the person I was listening to actually said that it really does take a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar, maybe even almost trillion-dollar company to create a browser. It requires so much energy. There are a few competitors um, uh, that are basing new experiences on existing browsers, but there's nobody really developing any new browsers. What we have now are three. We've got Safari uh, from Apple. We've got uh, Google's uh, Chrome, or based upon the Chromium engine, which is an open source project, but that Google has um, sourced. And then we have Firefox. Uh, those are the main three web engines. All right. Well, since we try to end with a recommendation, would you like to recommend one of those three for best practice? Um, at this point, I'd like to sh shy away from recommendations. All three of them are increasingly offering the ability to be more uh, private and uh, simply look through the possibilities and make them as private as possible. For example, you can shut off the microphone so it can't use your microphone, or you can shut off the camera so it can't use your camera. You can also disable tracking across the site. Um, in general, um, any of those browsers can, can be okay. Um, you're very likely to be tracked heavily if you use Chrome directly mm -hmm. from Google. Um, no surprise. I mean, that's the whole business You're model. much less likely to be tracked if you use a hardened kind of Firefox. Hardened? Well, meaning you go through and, and make this, don't just take the default settings, oh, uh, right. but um, go through uh, a privacy list and change the settings to keep you from being tracked. So privacy is usually... Uh, um, and is Firefox like more independent? Yeah, it's an it's made it's funded by the Firefox Foundation, the Mozilla Foundation, mm -hmm. and yes, it is independent. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a kind of, uh, but they do get a lot of money from Google and from others in mm -hmm. order to feature their web browsers. So they are also in the pockets of the very large companies. There isn't any one of these browsers that's not heavily financed by oh, I suppose large like companies. if you open Firefox and you search in the the top line search right. bar, it's a Google search automatically. Automatic. Right? I don't really know. They've they've gone back and forth, but yes, that's the that's the basic idea. You right. can change it, but to make right. it a default, that's what they've done. Because most people just do the default; they don't change it. Right. So it's possible right. to be very private on Firefox, but this it's not a very simple answer, um, because. Browsers have different levels of security as well. We talked about that. And from what I've gathered, the security folks favor the Chromium engine, and they believe that it is more secure mm -hmm. because it does what's called sandboxing uh, of but the But this resources. is security, not this privacy. security, not privacy. But that's okay. Chromium. And Chromium uh, is what Chrome browser is based on, but there are other versions that use the Chromium engine and take Google out of it. So there's something called de-googled de -googled Chromium, which mm -hmm. you can just get raw. Mm -hmm. And you can also use the Brave browser. And Brave is... I am a Brave browser. <laughs> I am a Brave browser. So many people, privacy advocates, also can use the Brave browser, um, which is based upon the open source Chromium engine. And so how about just opening a new private window in any of those browsers? Does that help or not really? Uh, that depends on a lot of things. <laughs> 
I think this is going to be the answer for like every question from now on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So like what? What does it depend well, on? Well, it depends upon if you're using a VPN, for example. Mm-hmm. If you're not using a virtual private network, it's really not doing much f- to protect your privacy to any site that is tracking your web address. Okay. Because they know that that web address goes with you. Okay. But like VPN plus new private browser window better? Slightly better, but if you do things consistently, that also can be tracked to you. Right. Any Um, pattern? If you really want the most easily accessible private web experience, you need to use the Tor browser. All right. Well, let's save that and Edward Snowden for another time. All right. That's enough for today. Uh, Uh, Yeah. So... I don't know. What will we do next time? Uh, next time, uh, we've got a long list of things to cover, but we can go on uh, to talk more about how the internet functions and mm. why, how, how the internet functions and, uh, and what are the various levels at which your information is being tracked. Okay. And maybe some uh, options for having a more Web 1.0 experience again. Yes. That'll be our teaser. That'll be our teaser. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.